Check one, two. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. For their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Let's pray. Lord, you have told us what is good and what is right in this world. You have sent your Son to undo the wrongs that we have done, to provide the grace and the mercy, the righteousness that we could not attain. By your grace and your forgiveness, we are clean. We pray, Lord, that that cleanliness will extend into our lives, that as we have been justified, we shall be sanctified, walking rightly in this world, following the counsel you have laid down, following the examples that you have given, glorifying you, praising your great name, Lord, as we walk in this world that does not know you, strengthen us for the task that we would be your people, called by your name, doing your work, building your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. is in you, Lord, my strength, is in you, Lord, my hope, is in you, Lord, and you is in you. My life is in you, Lord, my strength, is in you, Lord, my hope, is in you, Lord, and you is in I will praise you with all of my life. And I will praise you with all of my strength. With all of my life, all of my strength, all of my hope is in you. My life is in you, Lord, my strength is in you, Lord, my hope is in you, Lord, and you is in you. My life is in you, Lord, my strength is in you, Lord, my hope is in you, Lord, and you is in I will praise you all of my life. And I will praise you with all of my strength. All of my life, with all of my strength, all of my hope is in you. 
My life is in you, Lord, my strength is in you, Lord, my hope is in you, Lord, in you, is in you. My life is in you, Lord, my strength is in you, Lord, my hope is in you, Lord, in you, it's in you, in you, it's in you, it's in you. Let's see. Let's see. Um, unfortunately, good news is mostly not good news today. So, yeah, I hate when that happens. <laughs> um, just a couple of things to make sure calendar-wise. Our goal is to have a church council meeting next Sunday after the service. So, church council, you have been warned. The hope of that is that we can kind of get our all of our information and reports and stuff back together so that we can get back to a regular church calendar schedule come July. So that would mean business meeting in July and then regular council meeting. So if you did not get one last week and you would like one, there are still financial reports on the table right out here. That covers the year to date through the end of May. That way we can kind of get all the information out there. You can see where we are, where we stand, what we've spent and all that good stuff. One advantage of being mostly closed for two months is we really didn't spend a whole lot of money on anything. I mean, you know, a little electric bill here and there, and, you know, I still got paid, so that was nice. I appreciated that. So other than that, we didn't really spend a whole lot. There wasn't anything to spend on. Um, reminder, again, that we're going to, just one of the things we'll probably discuss at council and then have a firm idea is the uh, missions projects for the year. As of right now, unless something changes, still be in prayer on the backpacks. That was our goal, to try to be able to round up backpacks over the course of multiple months over the end of the summer into early fall so that we can hopefully collect more this year. We'll get more information as we go. Um, prayer concerns and updates. So let's start with the easy ones first. Uh, Clark was able to get to his doctor this past week. The uh, wound clinic uh, finally returned his phone calls. I think he said he had to call them four times to get them to talk to him. They think that the 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 the, the, the what is the word I want? Mm-hmm. The cut on his le- on his knee is healing up okay on its own for right now. So they don't want to do anything special to it. They're just going to let that go. Uh, Mike has kidney stones <laughs> that he cannot pass. They are too large, so they put a catheter in yesterday at OSF, and now they wait. <laughs> mm. So uh, I didn't call him. Um, oh, I'm sorry, they put that in Friday. I didn't call him yesterday because when I called him Friday afternoon, it was hello. Figured the man needed to rest and sleep, so that's what we're letting him do. Also, um, Vi uh, Hollinsworth is in the hospital. She will be there most likely until the first part of the week or the middle of the week. Uh, blood pressure, uh, nothing with her cardiovascular system measured right. So they wanted to admit her and keep up with her for a couple of days. So pray for Vi, pray for Aidy. He can't go see her. <laughs> so the biggest danger with that is if you know how Vi's dementia has progressed, they're telling her things, and she has no idea what they're explaining. So typically he tries to go to all of our appointments and be in the room. So they're having to call and let him know what's going on and keep up with that. It, it's just not a good spot. So I was also told to extend a thank you to those who, um, if you didn't know, we had a few folks that were able to bring meals this past week to Jerry and Sue. Um, Sue Stiver's uh, Parkinson's has progressed very quickly. And she's basically bed bound 
at this point. So they've got a hospice nurse coming in a few times a week. They've got someone coming in to help with the house a couple times a week. So we've been able to get some meals brought to them during the week. We've got somebody bringing meals today, and Jerry wanted to say thank you. He greatly appreciates it. Um, I know I think there's people bringing meals again this week. If we didn't call you and you're upset, I'm sorry, don't be mad at us. We made a quick phone call list. If you would like to do a meal for Jerry and Sue, call Cameron. <laughs> she was putting that together real quick just trying to make sure we got a schedule covered as quick as possible and we get that all figured out. Um, anything else I'm forgetting? What? What? Well, well, you're here, so you don't count. <laughs> <laughs> Your leg's still attached. Surgery apparently went well. They didn't have to amputate, which was, yeah, I mean, I told you we had a machete. We'd be glad to just, you know, hey. See, Jonathan was in. Like, well, you, you'd hold him, right, for me? No, I wouldn't. Well, then I'll hold him and you whack the leg off. That'll be good. See, don't you feel the love? <laughs> so, but what is it? Um, no main pressure on the leg for what? Four, six weeks? For yeah, a month or so, which with you, it'll be four to six weeks because you won't listen. Where's, where's your wife? She'll vouch for this. <laughs> She's in the nursery. <laughs> She'll vouch for this. Yeah. So, but they set the leg. Everything's well. Toes are still attached, all that good stuff. So, a plate and two screws. So, now whenever there's anything wrong with you, we have to check your leg to make sure those screws aren't loose. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, we're on the other side of that. The biggest thing was getting the swelling to go down. The surgery is not complicated to reset the leg. It's just waiting for the swelling to go down. So, all right. Anything else as a child sneaks across with inflatable chili peppers? <laughs> I don't know why we have inflatable chili peppers, but we do. You see, there they go. See, Caleb's like right here. Why we have those, I have no idea. Where they came from, I have no idea, but they're here now, so we just go with it. All right. What groans as in the pains of childbirth? Creation. And yes, I, I noticed, I said, other than women and animals, I wanted to make sure we covered all the smart Alex in the room. <laughs> See? This is, um, this is one of those things that we always, I know I have reminded you, and we have done a good job of this in Sunday school of making sure we keep up with this, but the goal of Christian living is ultimately, catch what I'm saying, this is ultimately not heaven. It is a renewed and redeemed creation, a redeemed earth. That's why when you get to the end of Revelation, it's behold, a new heavens and a new earth. And the, the eternal reign of God is described in a city with a river and trees and fruit and stuff. See, this is one of those things we always forget. Is work bad? No, because it predates the fall. Adam was given jobs to do in the garden before sin. Sin corrupts work, so when God redeems the creation along with people, we no longer have the thorns and the thistles, so we will be able to steward the creation of God rightly. And Bird's like, no more spraying! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you don't even have to plant it. It'll just grow. It'll be awesome. That's the idea. Now, this, this is important, though, because we're actually looking forward to the redemption of all things, not some things. This is why when you read Isaiah, the lion will lay down with the lamb. Why doesn't that happen now? Because the lion eats the lamb, because he's hungry. In redemption, there's no more death. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no, no, no more need for the lion to eat the lamb. So all of these things are redeemed. That's why creation itself is groaning. Because it, too, is longing for redemption from God. See? There's good stuff in here. Read your Bible. It'll do you good. All right. This is the fun one. You ready? The outer coverings for the tabernacle were made of what? You're going, what? This is from all of those chapters in the law that you skim that nobody reads. The coverings. It's in there. It's in your Bible. It'll do you good. The coverings in the tabernacle. It's in there. If I tell you any more, I'll give the answer away. It's in the bulletin. 
Well, get one on your way out. There's extras. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and why don't you have a bulletin? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get him. Get him. <laughs> this is from all those chapters that we skim and that nobody reads. Well, my, my assignment this week is read them because they actually point to some things and actually accomplish something of value. If God stuck it in there, he didn't put it into our Bibles for no good reason so we can go, all right, yeah, no, 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 no. But there's actually something we can learn and glean. So your homework is a little difficult this week because the reading won't be any fun. It's the dry, boring stuff nobody likes, but it's good for you, I promise. All right, anything else? Dun-da-da-dun, dun-da-da-dun. In that case, I'm going to stop talking and we can stand and sing. Consider all 
the words thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the roaring thunder, thy fire throughout the universe display. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. And when I think that God is some not sparing, sent us to die, I scarce can take it in that home the cross, my burdens gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou How great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art, when Christ shall come with shouts of anger. And take me home, what joy can fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art, how great thou art, how great thou art. Thank you.
righty then. Okay, you hear me all right? Okay, we are taking a little bit of a break today from our, our walking through books, mainly because we finished one last week and we're starting a big one next week. <laughs> and I'm not telling you yet which one we're starting, but we're going out onto another long, long book starting next week. Now, the reason we're taking this little break and setting it up in our calendar is we are acknowledging fodders today. Those brave men we launch out of cannons, you know, fodders. No, no, no. Oh, come on. That was a good one. Hey, yeah, see, there you go. See? At least it feels like it some days. Now, I'm going to warn you. Yeah. <laughs> we are going to partially break every rule about reading our Bible that I have told you over the last couple of years. Yeah, we are just, we are just ruining it. Go ahead and throw it on the screen and you'll see what I'm talking about. There it is. See, now, let's just see how well you're paying attention. What's our very first rule of Bible reading? Never, ever read a Bible verse. <sighs> We're reading a Bible verse today. <laughs> but, 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 if you are going to read a Bible verse and just read one, do it the way we're going to try to do it this morning. Meaning, we're going to understand it and make sense of it in light of its context, the teaching, and the situation that's going on, and then hopefully apply it broadly. Remember, this is one of the, this is one of the things we have to do with our Bible. When people tell me, I just don't read my Bible because it doesn't make sense. Okay. Say, so, yeah, you're laughing, but that's that more than you think. Part of the reason it doesn't make sense is we do too much to try to make a one-to-one -one application. And what I mean by that is a lot of times what we have in Scripture are principles that are given through either historical narrative, you know, storytelling ideas, even in letters like this one, we're writing to a people in a place at a time, and we're telling them to do something. Are you those people? No. Are you in that place? No. Are you in their situation? No. Therefore, that direct command may or may not apply to you, depending on your situation. So what we want to do is understand the point of the teaching, and then that application point is what we then move to our situation. Hopefully, brush your fingers, we are going to do that well today, and that way we're not actually breaking the rules. We're just kind of, we're, we're kind of molding them slightly. There we go. That's what we're going to go with. So before we dive in, Ephesians, what's in Ephesus? Because <laughs> that's where the people live. The Ephesians live in Ephesus. This is at the mouth of the Caister River, eastern portion of the Aegean Sea area. As with everything else seemingly that comes out of your Bible and archaeology, when it comes to the Bible, modern-day Turkey. <laughs> Read your Bible history. It seems like every time you turn around, you're in modern-day Turkey. Uh, Ephesus was well-known. They had the Temple of Artemis, which was one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. They were a main hub of polit uh, political influence, uh, industry, commercial trade, all of that good stuff. When you think ancient world, you kind of think Rome or you think Alexandria, Egypt, if you were actually thinking in line with that, you should be thinking Ephesus. So if Rome, is our, if Rome was their New York City and Alexandria was their Los Angeles, I guess Ephesus would be their Chicago. So there you go. It's, it's one of the big deals, but it's not the one you think of right off the bat. It should be. It's kind of a big thing. All right, this is a church founded by... Eh, Acts 18, we have a gentleman by the name of Apollos who comes from Ephesus. He is instructed and in teaching 
Well, he is teaching and proclaiming Christ, but he is only doing so based on the knowledge of the baptism of John the Baptist. He is instructed by uh, Aquila and Priscilla and further sent along his way. Then you have Acts 19. Paul actually gets to Ephesus, teaches the people there, instructs them that, hey, John was the forerunner. There's actually the Messiah that he was pointing to. Paul then imparts teaching. The Holy Spirit falls upon them because they now know Christ and the church is born. So I guess we can give Paul half credit for starting the church, like maybe 60-40 as to far as what's going on. No, 70-30. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll negotiate that out. Ephesians is one of the prison epistles. Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. So written somewhere between 60 and 62 AD. This is a place that Paul has been, a place that he is not now. So this is Paul's Roman imprisonment when you get to the book of Acts. When he's living in the house for two years awaiting his trial, this is one of the letters he's writing during that time. Book outline. This is going to be quick. Chapter 1, the election of God and redemption of people by God. Chapter 2, salvation by grace through faith in Christ who brings peace. That's your Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For you have been saved by grace through faith, and that out of yourselves and not of works it is a gift of God so that no one may boast. Chapter 3, encouraging the people based on unity of the body and the salvation in Christ. Chapter 4, Christian living. That begins the second half of the book. So chapters 1 through 3, doctrine. Chapters 4 through 6, application based on doctrine. Chapter 5, the Christian walk defined. If you want to know what marriage should look like, read Ephesians chapter 5. Chapter 6, relationships and standing steadfast. So in other words, how do we or should we relate to one another? How does that look? How do we walk in godliness? This is where we airdrop in and pick up with Ephesians 6.4. So let's read it and dive in. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I know you're thinking, we can't possibly have a whole Sunday on that. Challenge accepted. No. <laughs> now, start right at the beginning. Fathers. Woo. Time out. What's a father? And you're going, don't ask me stupid questions. Not a stupid question. And the reason I say that is we get tempted oftentimes to define biblical ideas and biblical concepts with worldly definitions. So your baseline thought when I say what is a father is... Someone who has a child, biblically, no. That's just scratching the surface of the definition. That is not a biblical definition. We want to take the world's definitions and challenge them. This is what we're commanded, 1 John 4. Do not believe every spirit. Spirits, ideas, concepts, worldviews. Do not believe them, but test them to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And by that, they don't mean they just walked in and go, Jesus is from God. See, I'm a Christian. I'm in. You can't question me anymore. That's not what we mean. Someone who is confessing that Christ has come in the flesh, they will live in accordance. They will teach in accordance with that. They will glorify God, not themselves, not the world. You will know them by their huh? different F word. Fruits. What your life produces. How will you know? This is why I like the Proverbs verse for reading this morning. What? How will you know good advice from bad advice? Well, bad advice leads to bad outcomes. In other words, it's bad fruit. And you're looking at your friends going, they're going to go off and do that, and that's dumb. Hmm, what's the rule? 
don't do dumb things. There you go. See, this is rules for life. You just put that, when you have children, put that in their nursery right above the crib. You know, don't do dumb things. <laughs> and then remind yourself to read it every day. So, so with that warning, I want to make sure that when I hear Paul say fathers, that I'm using Paul's definition, the Bible's definition, not the world's definition. So we're going to rewind a little bit and read verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, if you are reading that in your Bible, you'll notice it looks different in the font, and that's because Paul is quoting the Old Testament. What is he quoting? When Paul is telling you to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise. He's quoting from the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now, here's where we're getting out our pickaxe. Let's dig down a little bit. Why does God want children to honor their parents? Let's just chew for a minute, stew on this. So they don't do dumb things. See, <laughs> that's part of it, but there's an assumption even in that answer. And see, that's part of what we're trying to dig down on. Genesis chapter 4. Huh? Yes, follow me here. This is going to make sense. The man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a child with the help of the Lord. Genesis 25, 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. See, why would Isaac pray to God if Rebekah hasn't had any children? God's the one who gives them, which means if she hasn't gotten them yet, it's because God hasn't provided them. See, this gets, bar this gets into your answer. Psalm 127 summarizes this beautifully. Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. God wants children to honor parents because who has given them those parents? He did. Now, this is really uncomfortable for a lot of us. Because if you're like me, you remember your parents, and it's kind of like, really, God? That's, that's what we went with? That's what we had? We're, we're going with that as the example? That was the authority you decided I needed? <laughs> yes. Yes, he did. And yes, it is. And you can actually see this uh, borne out. We had this conversation Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago. The bond and tie between parents and children is so strong. This, you can go look this up. I promise you this is right. Vern's like, I remember this. This is messed up. More likely to go to prison. A child raised in an abusive household or in a child raised in the foster system. A good foster home. Statistically speaking, children are more likely to go to prison and get in trouble if they're raised in a good foster home than they are with bad parents. It's called RAD, Reactive Attachment Disorder. Children get used to the chaos. If you've uh, been a school teacher for any length of time, you've seen kids like this. Their home life is so messed up that they bring messed up life everywhere they go. They don't want it to be normal because when it's normal, they just... So you take them out of their broken, chaotic home, you put them in a nice, calm, loving home, and they don't know what to do with themselves, so they do what? They cause chaos. They rebel against normal, loving, good parents. That's how strong the bond to parents actually is. I know, it's, it's, it's messed up. Why? 
because this is the way God has ordered things to function. This is the way that it's instructed. Our first goal as Christians shouldn't always be to get children out of homes. Are there times when that should happen? Yes, I'm not saying there are not. Our first goal is to redeem families and households. Do we fix children or do we go after parents? See, this is what gets messed up in our evangelism a lot of times. Start an evangelism program in church. What group do we usually do we usually want to reach first? Kids! We got vacation Bible schools and we got sports camps and we've got egg hunts and we've got Halloween. We, you name it for kids and we got it. The Lifeway did this survey, oh, 15, 20 years ago. If you get children involved in church, their parents will become involved about 40% of the time. If you get a mother involved in church, her children and husband will be involved in church about 70% of the time. You get a father involved in church, his wife and children will become involved in church about 97% of the time. <laughs> Why is that? Who is the God-ordained head of a household who is supposed to be teaching, instructing, and training and protecting his family? The father. This matters. This is how God has instructed the world to run and how families should operate. When they don't, we do not get good results. <laughs> we're just hurting Jonathan today. It'll be all right. So when we're dealing with fathers, we're dealing with a God-ordained, God-given institution. You do not have kids as a man because you had sex with a woman and she became pregnant. Yes, you did that, but that's not the reason. God had to provide life. Now, he can do that for varying reasons. Some good, some not so good for you. Sometimes God gives you things like this as a judgment to kind of give you that, as we call it, the gib slap in the back of the head that we need sometimes. But he has given these children. That is why he expects them to honor their parents. They are the authority that God has placed them under. Therefore, they honor God by honoring parents. Now, that's only one side of the coin. What's the other side of the coin for the parents? Colossians 3. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. In other words, don't annoy the tar out of them. Why not? Because it makes bitter, aggravated children who go on to be bitter and aggravating to the rest of the world. This is not good. This is not why God has given you those children. He is, they are not there so that you may annoy them. Now, this is also passive. To not bother someone, do I have to do anything? Not typically. I can just sit there and leave you alone and not do anything. So I can follow this command passively. But there is also an active portion to parenting. Places like Deuteronomy chapter 6. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost to your house and on your gate. See, that's why right above the crib. Don't do dumb things. It's biblical. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm holding to that one. This is the active portion. You have been given children so that you may train them up in righteousness and godliness. Meaning you first have to be training up who? You. I can't show you something that I haven't seen. And I can't lead you to somewhere that I have never been. And I cannot give you something that I do not possess. So I must first disciple myself so that I may then disciple you. And this is how the cycle works. So 
biblical definition of father is not somebody who's just happened to impregnate a woman. It is someone who has been given a gift by God so that they may mirror the relationship of God and his people so that they may build up righteousness and godliness in this world. That's a father. (sighs) Now do you see why this matters, though? When we're discussing these things with the world, we are using many times their assumed definitions. When we encounter the world, when we are doing evangelism, when we are making disciples of the nations, when we are refuting the lies of the enemy and pointing them to the truth, the first way we need to do this is taking out the superficial definitions that they want to live under. No, you're not a dad just because you got some kids. You're a dad because you're loving God, discipling them, and training them up. This is work. Is work good? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It is pre-fall. Work predates sin. Therefore, when sin comes in, it corrupts work. It does not create work. So, let's follow Paul's logic here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I know we just covered this in Colossians, but it bears repeating. We need to dig in. Why not? Because if you are doing all the stuff we just talked about, you have a higher standard than just bugging your kids, don't you? You have more that you expect from them than just quiet and peace in your home. Leviticus 19. Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Ephesians 5. So if you rewind one chapter, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. See, We always want to make sure we cover both ends of this. Because if I come in here and just say, be holy, how's that going to work out for you? Not too good. Because you're going to go out there and be like, I'm going to do this. I've I've got this. I'm going to push away evil. I'm going to follow good advice. And I will do right. Nothing good dwells in you. Not innately. All have sinned and fallen fallen short of the glory of God. Our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. There is no power within us normally to do these things. But in Christ, there is. We are clean not because we are good, but because Christ is good. We are forgiven not because we are righteous, but because Christ is righteous. And as we stand in him, we stand clean, righteous, forgiven, and good. The lean-in is not to your own power, but into godliness, following the right example and evaluating and discerning in this world what is good and what is right and what is not. So, how do I know when I'm walking rightly? Here's one good way. 1 Corinthians 11. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. What did Paul tell the Corinthians? How do they know who they should follow? Paul's answer was, follow me, because I'm following Christ. And then as you're following me and people follow you, they too will be following Christ. We have godly examples. This is why we don't forsake history. This is why we don't run the elderly out of our churches. We need them. How else am I going to have a godly example of walking with Christ for 40, 50, 60 years? I'm 38 years old. I have no concept of that. (laughs) I have no way to tell you what it looks like to follow God for 40 years. I haven't been alive that long. I have no way of telling you what it's like to love my wife and train my children for 20 and 30 years. I've been married for 17, as of this morning, actually. (laughs) There's just, I don't have that. But you know what? Look around us. We do. 
we also have beautiful pictures of when things go wrong. And the reason I call them beautiful pictures is, you know, sometimes you learn by what? When it breaks. You learn when it's gone wrong. And then you can look at someone else when they're going down the same bad road you've already gone down and go, no, please stop. Don't do that. Planes, trains, and automobiles, right? You're going the wrong way. And typically they look at you and say, how do they know which way we're going? This is how churches are supposed to function. This is why godliness matters. This is why walking faithfully, hour by hour, day by day, month by month, year by year matters. I put it that way because if you sit there and say, I'm going to follow God and be faithful for the rest of my life, that's dumb. Not because it's a bad goal, because you have no way of defining what that looks like. You, you just don't. Forty years from now, if God still gives you breath, something will come along that will shake you in a way that you cannot comprehend. That's why I joked, who had, who had in their New Year's resolutions, we were all sitting around for two months. Everything was closed. And I mean, who had that? Who had that on the bingo square? Yeah, that, that's what I thought. Nobody picked that. When you laid out your plans when you graduated high school, how many of you had that in the middle of the year that, you know, my entire business in life might just be wiped out by some weird disease in the course of a month? Just, that's happened to people. Life throws things at you in amazingly complicated and diabolical ways, which is why we don't sit there and go, I'm going to follow faithfully for the rest of my days. Okay, awesome. What does that look like right now? Because if you can't define what that looks like right now, then you can't define what it looks like tomorrow, and you can't define what it looks like next week, and you can't define what it looks like next month. You need to define it first right now. Meaning, where am I? In every situation, how do I honor God in that situation? How do I faithfully proclaim his word? How do I walk rightly in him and do all of these things right now where I am? To put it in perspective, this is an easy one. You're all listening to what is hopefully faithful Bible teaching. I honor God by trying to be as faithful as I possibly can to the text. In this moment, you honor God by listening and applying these things to your life so that when we leave here, we actually do something. That's simple. Do that every day and start walking through. Now, let's, uh, let's get back to our, our specific application, which is Father's Day. If I'm following rightly, how will they, you know, the, the nebulous they, I think mine are back there somewhere, how will they know if they're following rightly? That's when it gets really difficult. <laughs> See, this is where we love Proverbs 22, right? Train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. See, the reason he won't depart from it is not because he got on it, wandered off over there into the wilderness, and then came running back. No, you train him to walk on this road so that he does what? He stays there. He doesn't leave. How will I know he hasn't left? This is where discipleship gets real messy and ugly. I'll know he hasn't left when he doesn't leave. I'll know that he's walking faithfully because he's walking faithfully. And we're going to come back to this idea in a moment because what's the question we need to answer here? How do you teach the loudest? Don't shout out an answer yet. Don't shout out an answer yet because this is going to be important for us because this is where sanctification becomes a multifaceted highway. And what, what I mean by that is what we tend to do is we think of sanctification as only for me. My sanctification, my growing in godliness is all about me. I grow in Christ. I am more holy. I am more faithful. I am doing all these things. This is about my relationship only with God. Wait a second. Ephesians chapter 4. 
Affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And ignorant, I'm sorry, and they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. <laughs> There's always one. Now, this is for your walking. Why do you walk? So that you will get there? That's part of it. Part of sanctification is discipleship and holiness and purity. But another part of sanctification is discipleship. Go back to the example a couple minutes ago. Can I train you to go somewhere if I don't know where it is? No. I can't do it. Can I bring you someplace if I have never been there? No. So my sanctification is not just so that I get there, but so that as I am bringing others with me, I actually know where I'm going. This is discipleship. This is training in life. If you've ever coached or played a sport, you've done this. When I, when I was a baseball coach, this is what we did. We would create scenarios on the field. You know why? Because if I just roll a ball out there and let the kids play baseball, there are 8,000 things that can happen depending on who's on what base and what the count is and how many outs there are. And I can't trust that in the form of them playing baseball that they will all occur. So what do I do? We create situations. We used to, used to be whole practices. What would we do if there's a man on first and a man on third and the guy on first steals second? Because there are now 17 different things that could happen. How do we know we're going to do all of them right? Because we're going to work on every single one of them. Now, here's the fun part. Can I do this in my life? Can I sit at home and game plan out what I'm going to do in every possible situation? No. No, you can't. Your Bible can't lay that out for you. Could you imagine if your Bible was set up like that as a rule book? Like when a red car pull, pulls out in front of you and cuts you off in traffic, do this. When a green truck does the same thing, do this. I mean, when the guy who's smaller than you insults you and the guy who's bigger than you insults you, I mean, your Bible would be like, I'd be turning, turning your Bible. It'd be a nightmare. Now, I cannot prepare myself for these situations. Who can? Luke 12, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Why? Because I have been spending my life doing what? Following, being a disciple, making disciples, so that when the problem comes, I don't have to sit there and go, which Bible verse? I will know the principle the idea, the application that needs to be communicated, and I will do it well. Not because I prepared five minutes beforehand. This is not an exam that we cram 20 minutes before you walk into class. But because I have done the hard work in my walk with Christ, actively following him, so that when something bad comes across, the Holy Spirit goes, hip, shoom, there we go. We're already prepared for that one. We saw this one coming. Because again, who knows that it's coming? He does. He's not surprised by which kids you had. He's not surprised by who your parents were. He's not surprised by how good or bad they were. He knows. Therefore, it is for your good and for his glory. So, if I don't do that, if I don't provoke them to anger, what do I do? Two things. 
bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. This is important. This is our dirty word that goes back to last week. Paul knows the struggles of the flesh. Romans 7. I find the principle that is e- that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. In other words, the thing that he wants to do, he doesn't do. The thing that he doesn't want to do is the very thing that he's doing. Sin breaks you down. So I get two correctives. They're both here at Ephesians 6.4. The first one is discipline. Discipline. Now, train, I'm sorry, bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. When I say that, what's your first thought? <laughs> Somebody got it. So he's like, mm. you immediately go to Proverbs 13, right? He who withholds his rod hates his son. He who loves him disciplines him diligently. If you're an old King James person, it's what? Spare the rod. Spoil the child, right? You know, when in doubt, get a bigger Bible. <laughs> no, that's part of it. Believe it or not, we're going to get back to our concept of two sides here. Don't get caught up here because when we, call, when we talk about discipline, just like I talked about with dealing with children, there was a passive not provoking them and then there was an active not provoking them. Passively to not provoke them is just don't annoy them. But to actively not provoke them, I have to teach them good and right things. When I am bringing people along in discipline, there is a passive form, and the rod is it. Believe it or not, spanking a child is a passive form of discipline. You're like, it doesn't feel very passive. (laughs) My heart rates up, my hand hurts, there's no passivity here. The reason I call it passive is because why did you do it? Did you do it because you were communicating something or because something had been communicated to you? See, there's the difference. You didn't look at them and go, you know what? You hadn't been spanked today. Come here. You need to learn a lesson. Come here. That's not why you did it. You did it because they did something wrong. So something happened. A situation was given to you, and you reacted to it. This is passive. This is also not the whole point of discipline. I'm sorry. Hebrews 12. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. See, we don't want to stop at passive discipline. We want to get to an active form of discipline. What I mean by this is what this looks like in this instance is, if I just spank my child because I've done something wrong, and I'm hoping that they hurt so they won't do it again. Eh. I always go back to a choir director we had when Cameron and I were in Stoneville in North Carolina. She, she always, this was her favorite story about her son. He's now, how old is Cody? He's almost 30 now, isn't he? Somewhere in there. Yeah, he's a, uh, he's a nuclear engineer. He's working at a power plant somewhere, not blowing it up, hopefully. <clears throat> smart kid. But she, this was his problem. He was smart. She, she still remembers to this day, he was two, three years old, and she had left a knife on the counter because she was cooking lunch, but her hands were dirty, and so she didn't want to put it away yet because she was coming back, and 
and he came in, and he went to touch it, and she said, don't do that. Excuse me. And he stopped. She looked at her, and she said, don't do that. That no. And he reached again, and she said, don't. If, if you reach for that and take that down, I'm going to spank you. And she said, and that child looked at her, looked up at the knife, looked back at her, turned his head to the side and grabbed the knife and looked at it, and then put it back. When she walked towards him, he turned around and started undoing his pants. <laughs> I'm like, you're in trouble with that one. He was like, worth it. Yep, all right, we're good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like I met that kid. Pain isn't much of a turret. What do you need? You need active discipline. You need to teach him not to avoid what is bad, but also to do what is right. Now, we cannot do this if we are only reacting to everything that we see. We cannot do this if we are only correcting when things go wrong. So, um, favorite, famous little uh, children's song. You know, we, I almost had Cameron sing it this morning, but we had enough good stuff going on that I was like, no, we're good. What should uh, little eyes be? They should be careful what they see. What should little ears be? Careful what they hear. What should little hands be? Careful what they do. Now, here's my question for parents. When you read your Bible, do you do it when it's quiet and nobody's around? Yes, and you know why? Because it's quiet and there's nobody around and I have to be able to think because these people are driving me crazy. Or at least that's just my house. <laughs> Did you ever read where little eyes could see you do it? Did you ever pray where little ears could hear you do it? Did you minister where little hands could help? Did you go and do the things where little feet could follow? See, that's active discipline in Christ. It's not just, don't do that. It's, let's do this. And not only when that occurs, but just in general. It is intentionally, purposefully walking in godliness so that others may follow. Now, if you're a parent like me and like my wife, your first thought is, stupid, stupid. No, I didn't do that enough, and I haven't done that enough. Now, stop. The enemy's only real trick in this world is your imagination. What I mean by that is Satan may be a ravenous dog seeking someone to devour, but he's on a leash, and he's on God's leash. The reason why his name means accuser is because that's all he's got. You know your sin, so all he's got to do is, hey, check that one out. And you'll destroy yourself over it. Before we sit there and listen to the lies of the enemy, are you breathing? Check. Okay. That means you're alive, right? Congratulations, it's not too late. Were it too late and you were done, God would have taken you home and you wouldn't be here anymore. You're here. Therefore, it is not too late. So even if you've missed one, ha, 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 ha. Remember I said there were two corrections? Bring them up in the discipline. Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. This is the other part of this. This is the why we walk the way that we do. This is how we make disciples. Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly. So don't do this and do this. To live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, 
looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now, Bible knowledge time. See if anybody knows this. Before Titus gets to that section in chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, what has he spent the first part of chapter 2 doing and the last part of chapter 1 doing? Who has Paul addressed in the first part of Titus chapter 2? This is your Bible trivia time. Part 2. Ooh. Anybody have one? The beginning of chapter 2 is for, young, is for uh, older and younger men and older and younger women. Younger men are supposed to learn from who? Older men. Younger women are supposed to learn from who? Older women. Before that, who is he instructed? The end of chapter 1. He's instructed elders in the church. See, the assumption going on here is if you're an elder in the church, are you 15? <laughs> Not typically. Now, you, you could be younger. Timothy was a younger elder. Now, now, keep in mind, we think when we say that Timothy was younger that he was like 22. He was probably in his 30s because that was really considered adulthood in that world. So when Timothy was being looked down on in his age, it's because he was in his 30s or 40s, and the 80-year-olds were like, you whippersnappers. <laughs> yeah. There is a wisdom that can go with Bible knowledge that can make up for some experience in walking with God. Notice how I said that. Some. This is, again, why I'm not the end-all, be-all. Because while I may have some good Bible wisdom and good knowledge and good application, do I have 40 or 50 years of walking with Christ? No. We need people in our church that do. We need people in our communities and in our congregations that do. Again, if I'm, if I'm going to get there, what's the first thing I need to know? Now, before I need to know how to get there, I need to know what? I need to know where I am, but I need to know even what else. Where's there? <laughs> I need to know where there is. And this is what we're told. We're told to pursue godliness. What does that look like? See, that's what we fail to do. We fail to define it rightly. I, I, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to not do my pop culture bad 90s songs reference. So, <laughs> No one will get it but you and Matt. Like, nobody else. Now, you didn't listen to grunge in the 90s. All right, we'll play name that tune with Becca and Matt. Because this, I, honest goodness, when I thought through this idea, this is the first thing I thought of. Why follow me to higher ground, lost as you swear I am? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's collective, it's collective Soul. The song is December. Look it up. It'll do you good. It's a great song. I still like it. It's still on my phone. Collective Soul. The song is December. Yeah, don't scream about, don't speak a doubt. Turn your head now, baby, just spit me out. Now, that has nothing to do with anything else we're talking about, but there you go. There is bad 90s songs references for a thousand, Alex. The concept makes sense, though. Why would I follow you if you're lost? <laughs> Following you is just going to get me what? I need to define where I am, where I'm going, and then I can define how I get there. This is why we lose our children and our teenagers. And we all know the stats. We've been, we've been told them by Lifeway and Barna and everybody else, Pew Research, for 30 years. 75 to 90% of children raised in church will walk away. The reason they walk away is because we've lost the argument with the world. 
they think we're lost. Think about that for a second, because what's our favorite descriptive term for someone who's a Christian? Someone who is saved and all the rest of the world is lost. We lose them to the world because the world has convinced them that we are lost and have no idea where we're going. We don't know how people work. We don't know how the world should function. We don't know what is right and good. They think we're mean, judgmental, self-righteous. You name the accusation. Now, if they think that, and they're pointing, see, here's how you're a hypocrite. Here's how you're self-righteous. Here's how you're mean to the rest of the world. If we can't stand there and go, that's a lie, that's not true. If we can't do that, we've lived the gospel wrongly. Now, if we've lived it wrongly, what have we done first? We've believed it wrongly. And I think for too often, we've just made it a punch card. I'm in. I'm good. I went to church. I got my check mark. And that's all. That was the end of it. No, it can't be. This does not allow for checklist Christianity. This idea, this one verse demands active thinking, functioning, and living, not just in my house, but everywhere. This is the other mess up. We, I use this reference a lot. We, we joke about this. Why don't you spank other people's children at Walmart? Yeah, because there's laws against that because they're not your children. You deal with your children. You ready? You know where I have never been mad? Not once. I have never come to church. My kid's done something stupid because, yes, that's happened. And someone told them it was stupid. Don't do that. I've never been mad at the person for doing that because they're doing something wrong. And when they're doing something wrong, I want other godly people to tell them what? Don't do that. If I was there, I would have told them not to do that. You're there, so do me a favor. Tell them not to do that. Why? Because it needs to be done. When I do something stupid, you know what I need? I need godly, wise elders in the church to go, don't do that. <laughs> wise. Wise. <laughs> Jonathan will be my conscience. I feel so much better. <laughs> We laugh, but this is necessary. Too often we say what? Well, you don't know what I'm doing, or you're being judgmental. We come up with a laundry list of things because you know what I'm really thinking about right now? You caught me. And what's the worst thing in the world? Getting caught. How many times when you were a kid were you sorry you did something wrong? You were never sorry you did something wrong. You were only sorry you got caught. Christian, we have to mature out of that place. We have to mature to the place where we are glad we got caught so that we can be sorry we were sinning. That's godliness in action. That is Christian maturity in function. And that requires us to be able to look at each other and go, well, you know, I know, stop saying it. I was already thinking it. <laughs> Too often we're sorry we got caught. We're not sorry that we've done wrong. And that's a problem. Discipleship. Christian maturity, walking with Christ year after year, is sorrow not over the light, but sorrow that there's something that the light can see that is no good. And that's the difference. That's what we have to communicate. That's the instruction. That's the my walking in godliness, following good teaching, reading my Bible, spending time in prayer, talking to other believers so that I am actively rooting the darkness out and throwing it off my path. Then, here we go then we are prepared to deal with everything else. 
I always, we always ask this on Wednesday. My guys always get it right, so now I'll ask them and they'll get it wrong. Other than John 3.16, if the unbelieving world knows a Bible verse, what Bible verse do they know? Judge not, lest ye be judged. And they do that. They quote it in King James, don't they? Yes, they, they, or as my father-in-law pointed out, they, they quote it in King Jimmy. They know, judge not lest. Like, when was the last time you used lest in a sentence? And don't drop a ye on me like you were talking about. Like, I'm going to ye old car. I mean, I do that, but I'm weird. And can't rule vouch. I drive by, if, 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 I don't care what you say, if we go by, it is Cracker Barrel, ye old country store. And I said that for so long that Cameron and I drove by one one time, and she goes, the sign didn't say ye. Because the sign doesn't say ye. It doesn't? No, I've just been saying that for five years just because it's fun. Yeah. Pray for my wife. She's married to an idiot. <laughs> See, they know that one because they look at you and go, you, you can't tell me this is wrong because you're wrong, and you can't judge me because otherwise you're judged. That's Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Let's keep reading. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? This is good. You have this little bit of sin, and I have this great big pile of it right here. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own? Do you want a blind ophthalmologist? Like, do you want a blind eye doctor poking around in there? Oh, yes, we'll figure it out eventually. Hold still. Quit squirming. <laughs> What's my copay? There you go. No. You hypocrite. First. Oh, anytime you hear first, what do you know happens? There's going to be a second. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Oh, we just kind of threw that one right out the window, didn't we? No. I confront my sin. I have sorrow over it. I seek to put it to death. Shine the light. Cook that puppy so that it doesn't bother me any longer. I want it gone, 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 gone. So that when I'm walking, I can see clearly so that when you are stuck in sin, I can go, brother, no, don't do that. And then as I'm not paying attention to me anymore and I find myself standing in deep water, someone else can go, brother, you've wandered off the path. See, we walk together. But this requires instruction of one another and of ourselves. This requires diligence, thinking, evaluating, processing, and applying. If we're not doing that, we are not upholding the standard God has given only when we're seeking out righteousness and godliness in our lives, killing it, casting it aside, and trying to walk in the truth, are we actually bearing up the standard that God has given. And the starting point of that is even more basic, because why are we even able to have this conversation? Why can we even have this conversation? 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to, an obtain, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We're only able to even evaluate these things because Christ has worked. We're only able to have these things because God has demonstrated his grace and mercy and love upon us by pouring out his wrath that was due to us on Christ. And now that as Christ stands at the Father, blameless, he goes, that one's mine. That's mine. I am a child. That's a child. We're in. We're good. Which means, when the world gets this wrong, the answer is not to take all of this stuff and to go put it away. 
and to go, oh, I'm sorry, you're right, I can't judge. No, I'm giving you the same standard I've, given, I've been given, which is I'm terrible at this, and I need a Holy Spirit and redemption by God to even possibly have a chance of figuring this out as I go. Now, if that's where I'm standing, and you don't have a Holy Spirit, and you don't have a redemption from God, what chance do you have? Like, I've been given the mind of God and the mercy of Christ, and I'm only working on it. What happens if you took Christ and the Holy Spirit away? <laughs> I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> the cure is not to forsake them. The cure is not to forsake discipline in our lives, instruction in our lives and the lives of those around us. It is to lean into them even more. Why? Because that's the kingdom-building job we've been given. That's how we function. Which means, again, go back to where we started. We went for 15 minutes on what makes a father. Now, can we have that discussion in the world? See, I would argue we can, but we don't. Because we don't want to get bogged down in silly little details like, you know, who are you and what you're doing here. See, just by debating and thinking through what makes a father a father, we understand who God is what he's doing, how I'm supposed to function. I have an accountability. I have a goal that is outside of me. I have all of these things, not because of me, but because of God. I'm having a gospel-oriented discussion because I refuse to accept that a father is somebody who has had a child. No, biblically, a father is someone who is training and being trained, who is discipling and being discipled, who is disciplining and being disciplined both actively and passively. And because of that, I'm, I'm, I'm now confronting the worldview that is going on in the secular society. We've made mention of this for weeks. Is the world still on fire? I've stopped watching. Have we, we're still burning out there? Every, yeah, there's like, it's like Seattle, but Seattle's going to be on fire forever, apparently. It's like, we're, why? Because their worldview, the foundations upon which they're standing, can't bring peace. They can't bring righteousness. They cannot bring discipleship. They cannot bring the kingdom of God. They can't do it. Why? Because it's sinking sand. And the more you try to build on the sand, what happens? We just keep going farther and farther down. So when we try to deal with all this stuff up here, we've got no hope. But when we attack at the base, we undermine those foundations because they need to be undermined. Because if you think you're building on sand, you're just going to create a catastrophe. We don't want that. So we define what's a family. What is it, godly manhood? What is godly womanhood? What is a father? What is a mother? How do we live? What am I living for? What am I doing here? And I don't just mean like in the grand scheme of it, the world, but like when I go to work on Monday, what am I doing here? Am I just here to punch a clock, do the same thing over and over again? No, I'm here to serve God. So how do I serve God? How do I work well so that I honor him? Well, there you go. Now we're doing the evaluations. Now we're having the conversations. This is based on being disciplined and being instructed in Christ. This is not just a message for families and parents. This is a message for all of God's people that we build and we construct and we live rightly. And again, the lie is, you failure, you haven't done it yet. Why would you start now? Because I'm still here. I'm still here. Therefore, I can. And by the grace of God, that too, for Christ has died. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, because he has not forsaken me, I can walk and I can do and I can be that person. Why? Because that's what he's made me to be.
That's what he has redeemed me for. That is what he is building me towards. And when I cooperate with that work, I am actually doing kingdom work in my life. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you. We thank you that we can gather together. Suddenly just woke up on the microphone there. That we can gather, that we can worship, that we can minister. Lord, change our hearts. Change our minds. That we would evaluate, that we would see rightly. That we would walk in you. Seeing the world not through the lens that they would provide, but through the grid that you've given. Evaluating according to your standard. Living according to your promise that we would be your people, faithful and secure until the end. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I will let Jesus gaze with thanksgiving in my heart. I will let Jesus court with I will say this the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his gates with praise. I will say this the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his court with praise. I will say this the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Just a a couple of last minute reminders. Just uh, Sue, Mike, Clark, Vi, remember them in your prayers this week. James as well. Didn't forget you this time because you're behind me. I remembered. we are on track, I think, to probably either the first or second week of July. We'll be able to get Sunday school started back up again. That's kind of the that's kind of the goal of getting everything back to normal and back started. So re- part part of that is going to be able to plan right. So church council, please next week. Hopefully, men, enough of us will be here. We can actually have a meeting and go through it all. So I think that's everything to remind you of. Let's pray again, Lord, as we leave here. Guard us, keep us grounded in your word, that we would know you, love you, trust you, and serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.